Amen. Thanks, Kevin. Worship team. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Acts. My name is Daniel. Uh, I get the opportunity to be a lead pastor here at Journey and serve uh, this amazing body and teach God's Word this morning. I have spent the weekend along with Kevin and Tyson and Sarah and some others at our student ministry uh, fall retreat uh, teaching students. And so it's been a joy, and there were uh, over 30 students and leaders uh, who were there uh, at the Unplugged Fall Retreat. We had some small groups that brought food, and it was a, just a great time, uh, basically out in Walcott in the middle of nowhere, but it was uh, really fun to be with them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you'll see them probably around serving in kids' ministry and in the next service. But if you have a copy of God's Word, this is week five of a series that we're calling The Spirit in Acts looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament specifically, but uh, how the person of the Holy Spirit moved and worked. And today, it's going to be kind of interesting because we're going to jump to three different places in the book of Acts as we look at the way that the Holy Spirit used and spoke in and through Scripture. So those three places, I'll give them to you, and I'll give them the order that we're actually going to be there. Acts 7 Acts 28 and Acts 17. And we're looking at a very tricky thing uh, with our engagement in Scripture as a whole. Because what I really want to isolate in on is the response to three different groups of people to the teaching of God's Word. And each and every time what you're going to see is that the speaker equates the Old Testament to being spoken by the power of the Spirit. And you see that the Holy Spirit is working in and through Scripture. But what is different each and every time is the heart of the recipient. And that's such a tricky thing because we, we want to think we have full control of manipulation of our own hearts and desires. But oftentimes it's the Spirit working in our hearts as we receive God's Word. So let's digest this together. I'm going to give you kind of a point in a sticky statement. Go to two passages not in Acts before we get there. So the first is this. is The point today is that the Holy Spirit guided humans to write the story of Jesus so we could see the meaning of our story. That the Holy Spirit guided humans to write the story of Jesus, the story of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, so that we could see the meaning in our story. And you, you see this in, in John 16 when Jesus is about to uh, give his life for the sin of humanity to uh, be buried in a tomb, but he would uh, resurrect from the dead and ascend to be back with the Father, that he tells his disciples this in John 16, 13, and 14. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's a story about Jesus. You could say it in a same point, but in different ways, that the scripture was written in the power of the Spirit about Jesus for our good. About Jesus for our good. In 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of a man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit was the power source, Jesus is the message, and we are the recipients. You know, the Bible 
is written for us, but not to us. You've probably heard this illustration, but I'll use it again. It's used all the time in Bible classes in different contexts. That Imagine this morning when I got up uh, real early to be here, um, that I walked to my kitchen table and found in the middle of the night, my wife woke up and wrote me a love letter. I was like, oh, this is so sweet. I pick it up and I read it and it touches my heart. So I fold it up and I put it in my back pocket. I walk in the doors of Journey Church and I pull my phone out because it always sits in my back left pocket as well. But when I pull my phone out to answer a phone call, the letter falls out and it's just sitting there in the floor. And then one of you walk in this morning and you pick this up and you're like, this is so amazing that someone has written me a love letter. This is so sweet. This is so incredible. It's so unexpected. I didn't know that they would know that I would be right here in this moment to pick up this letter for me. But the reality is, is the proper way to read that letter is to read who is the author, who is the recipient, and say, like, look at this amazing story of how one woman is loving one man and they have this great love for each other. That encourages me, that inspires me, that points me in a trajectory for my life. Now, that love letter wouldn't do that necessarily for you, but the scriptures written to a story about Jesus in a particular context invites you in and is for your good, but you should never read the scripture like it was written to you, but it is for you. It has the power of the Spirit. It's a message about a Jesus, and it's for our good. You see, because the Bible has history in it, but it's not merely just history. History is information, has facts in it, like the fact that Jesus was killed by Romans. That is a fact. It's a historical fact, but that fact doesn't do anything about our lives. But when the power of the Spirit comes in and provides truth to that fact, it changes not only that message, but it applies it to our hearts to change our trajectory. It invites us into that story. What I want to look at this morning is this flyover in Acts of these few key places of how these writers of Scripture look backwards at Old Testament history and apply theological truths to them. You can look these up on your own. All of these references are actually in the Journey Groups Guide for week five, but I want to walk through them. In Acts 1.16, in the Scriptures, it equates that David wrote them, but it spoke beforehand about Judas's defection and need for replacement. That it looked all the way back in biblical history to the David, the king in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus or Judas or anybody, and he prophesied about Judas being defective as a disciple and even an apostle, and he would need to be replaced. Fast forward to the next chapter, we've already covered this one in week two of this series, but in Acts 2, 17 and 18, Peter picks up on the minor prophet Joel and says the Holy Spirit spoke through him about the coming of the Holy Spirit in fullness. In Acts 4, Peter again talking to the early church and praying together looks at the prophecy from Isaiah and says that all of the unholy alliance of the Romans and the Jewish leadership, they would come together against Christ to not only criminally prosecute him unlawfully, but ultimately crucify him. In Acts 11, it looks at the prophet Abagus who would predict a worldwide famine futuristically. 
Acts 21, Paul says the Holy Spirit tells him about his arrest in Jerusalem futuristically. And then in Acts 28, Paul, talking to Roman Jewish leadership, says that Isaiah wrote about them specifically. You see, the Spirit is at work in the Scriptures, but in Acts what we see is these writers are equating, says, look at how the Spirit is speaking in power. Look at how he knows what he's talking about. Look at how Scripture is alive because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful invitation for us is we don't have to go to a particular place to encounter the Spirit of God, but rather set aside time in our normal routine to encounter the Spirit as we engage the Word of God on a one-to-one level. But in order for us to do that rightfully, there's some heart postures that we need in our lives. And this is really taken from a book called Before You Open Your Bible. And it's a, it's a wonderful, small little read, but I'm going to give you three things. If you're taking notes, these will not be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, if you have a time with God on a regular basis, hopefully each morning before you begin your day, or maybe it's at your lunch break, I hope before you crack open God's word that these three things will be about you and your spirit. The first, that you would approach the Bible prayerfully. It's been said that a prayerless Christian is a powerless one. And we pray before we engage God's word because we are expecting God to speak through his word to our hearts in our lives. Jesus said that the spirit of God would guide followers of Jesus to the truth. They would have the spirit inside them and be able to discern that's a lie and that's the truth and guide it to his word. That your eyes would be able to see prayerfully that Jesus is the hero of this text, not you, not me. The hero of this story is Christ. So you should approach your Bible prayerfully. Second way is humbly. Because if you know the hero of the story and this one is not you, the same is true about your life, that you and I are not the heroes of our story. We are adequately insufficient to be the hero of our story. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Christ in our life and know who he is. We should approach the Bible prayerfully, humbly, but also, number three, communally. That scripture is not just for me, but it is for us. This is why we make such a big emphasis about groups at Journey. We want you to get around God's word with other people in your life, being able to uh, correct and encourage you through the word. So with those three in mind, prayerfully, humbly, and communally, let's dive into God's word together. Acts chapter 7. I'm actually going to be at the very end in Acts 7, 51 is the first verse I'm going to read, but I'm going to give you some context of what's going on here in this story. One of the very first deacons by the name of Stephen is, uh, has been deaconing. He's been waiting on tables, serving widows and orphans, and uh, after the persecution of the church, he begins to spread out and do ministry, but he stays in the city of Jerusalem. And he gets in front of the Jewish leadership and he begins to give this selective Old Testament history of saying how Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of these stories. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than David. He's greater than all these different individuals. And he's walking through this Old Testament story of t- talking about how Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. But then he rebukes them because he sees that they are hard 
hearted. But he used this word, verse 51 of Acts 7. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Man, the gall on this guy. He calls out the Jewish leadership, but he says that they're stiff-necked and they're uncircumcised in heart. They're closed-hearted. They're, he says, you've always resist the Holy Spirit. Notice that Stephen equates rejecting the Old Testament as the uh, fulfillment of Christ, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, as being resistant to the Holy Spirit. He says that they've resisted it. And this word resist is actually an active word. It really means to come against with force. It means to forcefully come against, to to fall against something. It's to take an active role or to be hostile to the word of God and the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is active in the scriptures guiding the followers of Jesus to truth. So in order to be this way in this heart position, you actually have to take an active role to reject and push back against this. In today's world, one theologian says we may resist the Holy Spirit by just simply resisting a faithful teaching and application of God's word. That when we sit and listen to scripture taught for for us, that we would say, ah, that's not for me, that's good for someone else. We clog our ears and say, you know, that's a good message for somebody else that needs to hear that. Have we positioned ourselves in this heart posture today or any time that we open God's word for ourselves or in a group or in a church service? Have we positioned our heart to be resistant to the Holy Spirit? When we reject faithful teaching and application, we are saying, I am coming against the potential work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And look at how ridiculous these individuals are. Just slide down a few verses to verse 54. Now, when they heard all of these things, they became enraged. They grounded their teeth at him. I don't know if you've ever heard this or done this yourself, but that is a not a pleasant feeling nor sound. And how ridiculous these Grown individuals listening to someone talk, grinding their teeth in fury and rage. Looks like a lot of people in our culture today of just this utter rejection, anger, and lack of tolerance of any kind to listen to someone speak. And then it says this, verse 57. So they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed at him. Grinding their teeth in rage, they plug their ears and rush him. Verse 58 says they cast him out of the city and stoned him, or they just killed him by throwing large rocks. Their heart was so turned away against God that it led them to a simply see red and do nothing other than a half to kill him. Do you have a heart posture in this way? Maybe it won't lead you to murder physically, but that you just don't want anything to do with anything else that God may have to say that I want Jesus for this transactional, what C.S. Lewis called vampire Christianity. I'll take the blood of Christ to cover my sins, but I don't want anything else to do with it. 
I don't want Jesus to step in and speak to my relationships or any other area of my life. I, I, just, I just want him for what he can give me for one day, but I don't want him to be the Lord of my life. So this is the hostile response to God's word. Second context, go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28. This context is all through the book of Acts, you see Paul, when he gets converted from Saul to Paul, he has this desire to spread out the message of Jesus to as far as he can go. And his heart desire about midway through this story is, I got to get to Rome. I got to get to the empire, the capital city. I, I want to get to Rome. But he, he struggles to actually get there. He's put in persecution. He's put on trial. He's put in prison. All these different things happen. But at the end of Acts, the Roman Jewish leadership find their way to come to him. They're actually very interested into things that he has to say. If you read the context, I think it's Acts 28, 23. It says they, they long to hear what Paul would say from the scriptures. So they're interested. They're, they're curious. They, they want to know what he has to say about exegeting the text and looking at the Old Testament specifically of how Jesus is the film. They're, they're, they're curious. But then he begins to teach and he begins to uh, show them from the Old Testament how the whole story finds its fulfillment in Christ. And then in verse 24 of Acts 28, it says this, and some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. This prophecy about these people from the book of Isaiah, cited in Isaiah 6.10, this word grow, grown dull literally means to slowly become fat. There's this apathy to the word of God and the application of God's word. It's as if what Jesus said in Matthew 13, that there's eyes that see, there's ears that hear, but there's a heart that has no response. Because these people, their heart have no act, nothing. There's this, this apathetic lack of response where the other Jewish leadership in Jerusalem was actively against God's word. They're like, we're resisting this. We're taking every effort to squash this message out. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the Old Testament this way. Stop blaspheming Moses. Stop talking about David like that. Stop it. And we will take you down if you keep talking like this. The Jewish leadership in Rome, they're like, whatever. Talk all you want. Paul says, when Isaiah said, your heart has grown dull, you have been so apathetic. You don't care enough to actually consider anything. You have, in a heart posture, slowly grown fat. How often can this become so many of us that we may know some facts about God? We have information. We may even have some theological knowledge about God. We have some inspiration. 
Some of us even have devotional experience of God, which is good, but what we need is life transformation. We need God to get a hold of our heart in such a way that we never want him to let go. But many of us, there's this disconnect. We, we, We have these things in our life, but we have this passivity to the things of God and the purpose of life and his grace to show up. And we don't long for his grace to show up in our mess, that we still have this, let's pull myself up by my bootstraps mentality. But the reality is, is people change when his, his grace shows up in our mess. We should not desire to be passive towards this. In preparation for this, it reminded me of a time when I was in high school playing basketball and it was practice and our basketball coach, like almost every high school basketball coach probably in the area with basketball season upon us is, you know, it was a full passion every time we were doing anything. Didn't matter if it was a Monday afternoon in July and we were doing a locker room speech, full of passion, full of energy, full of excitement. And I remember we were doing this ball handling drill where we set up these cones in a very tight setting and it was just really, really, it was supposed to practice on one-on-one defense. The defender was supposed to get as close to the offensive players they could and was supposed to turn this individual at least three to five times before we got to half court. And what happened to this one scenario, this one group went and the guy made a quick step, got around him and just made it, never got turned. And the defender kind of turns around and just kind of saunders back. And in our practice, that was never Okay saundering anywhere, not okay. And our coach, with a fire in his belly and his voice, said, get in a push-up stance! And we're like, oh man, I wouldn't want to be that guy. And he gets in a push-up stance, he gets down there by the head, he's like, why did you walk? And I still remember the sound of this small sophomore's voice. He said, coach, my finger hurts. And he said, your finger hurts? What's your finger got to do with your feet? But the the real truth of this individual is there was a lack of passion and, and grit and desire. And you see this come out in sports, those who want it and those who don't. But in this context for these Jewish leadership, there was this disconnect from the information to their hearts. And for many of us, it's easy just to come in week in, week out, hear about Jesus, how his grace can transform our lives and be like, yeah, that's good for somebody. But the reality is, is there is hope. When God can get a hold of our hearts, we can have this passion in our lives that looks differently for different people, different temperaments, but we just really desire God to show up and When we have this about us that we want his grace to meet us in our mess, things can change. Now Acts 17, look at the difference between the hostility, the apathy, and then in Acts 17, 11, you meet the Bereans, where Paul and Silas are on this missionary journey. They've been to Thessalonica, where you have the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we'll read one verse from there, Uh, but... You see the Jews in Berean, and they are so excited about the Jews in Berea. In Acts, just this one verse, Acts 17, 11, it says, Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with 
eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if they were so. You see, in Berea, what Paul tells us, Paul and Silas on this missionary journey, is that they were more noble. And this word more noble literally is a heart posture word that they were, their heart was in this desire to take in the word of God and genuinely consider it. You see, these Bereans welcomed the word. And the word here is just this word that means the gospel. And it says they enthusiastically embraced this word. Now, there were Jews in Thessalonica who um, did receive gladness within their heart and become Christians. That's why you have First and Second Thessalonians. But First Thessalonians 2.13, it says, written by Paul, it says, And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as a word from men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So individual listening to these three texts from the book of Acts, my simple question is this, is how is your heart and what is your perspective of engaging God's word? That the goal of reading scripture is reading it like a Berean, desiring to examine it, to see if these things are sold. That if the power of the Spirit is in this text and that making it come alive to my eyes and my heart and my ears to say Jesus is the hero. But how do we read scripture like this? I want to give you three movements to read scripture for the desire of transformation and not simply just information. This is a history through the church, through the ages, but there's kind of four parts, but three big movements. The first one is to simply start with a prayer. Before you open God's word, remember those three heart postures prayerfully, humbly, and communally. We start with a prayer to desire God to meet us in this moment, to stir us up towards the Lord. And then we read a passage of scripture. I would recommend you reading one chapter each day and seeking to have one verse that you isolate in on to uh, apply it to your life. The second movement is reflect on what you've read and ask some questions. There's actually seven questions in the Journey Groups Guide every single week that's not only a good Bible study method in a group setting, but also in an individual setting. And as you ask these questions to helpfully help you process God's word, then the third is to respond How's God meeting you in this moment from his word to change your perspective on who Jesus is and how he meets you with his grace in this moment? How people change is an encounter, not simply with information, but with grace, with a person. And he is the word made flesh. And it's not about the ink on the page, but the spirit inside you meeting you through the means of the word will change your story. For many of us, for those of us who have doubt in the word and in the person of Jesus, meet patience. Written through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jude tells us to have mercy on all of us who have doubts. To Thomas, Jesus revealed himself unto him who had doubts. For those of us in a struggle or have grief in the scriptures and in the person of Jesus, meet hope. Peter tells us in his first letter that Jesus is, in fact, our living hope, that the promise of the scriptures is not that we won't have difficulties, but rather Jesus is with us amidst our difficulties. 
For those of you feeling insignificant, meet perspective and significance in the word and through Christ. Where Jesus says, I came to bring life and life to the full. I came to make all things new. For those of you in apathy who lack discipline, meet an easy yoke in the scriptures and Jesus. Where he says in Matthew 11, my burden is easy, my uh, yoke is light. What does that mean in the agrarian times? The team of oxen would yoke up together. It wouldn't be one simple oxen, but a pair. Where Jesus says, come, I've got two spots. One for you, one for me. When there's even team approaches, meet brothers and sisters in the faith who is helpers in our burden. Galatians 6.1 says, carry each other's burdens. Notice in Acts 17.11 that in the Bereans, it says they received the word with all eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. It's a plural form. It wasn't just one of them who got a hold of God's word, but they together in community studied the scriptures to see if they were so. Here at Journey, we desire each and every one of us to be in a journey group. But we don't, tr- we don't try to say find community, but rather initiate it. Do the work. Provide community for someone else before you ever look to receive it for yourself. Whether you're in a journey group or in your home or someone at your workplace who is also a follower of Jesus... Have intentional, specific conversations about how God is working in the word in your life. I'm preaching to myself on this one. Because the reality is, is Jesus isn't just the general fulfillment of all things. He's the specific fulfillment. He's not just the greatest prophet. He's the prophet better than Moses, better than Elijah, better than Amos, better than Hosea. And on that same vein, Jesus didn't just die for sins, he died for my sins. Not just my sins, but my specific sins and your specific sins. Not just generally, but specifically. Jesus died and paid for the gossip against your coworker that you committed last week. Jesus died for the anger that you had toward your spouse last night. Jesus died for the lust that you committed on that person that you don't even know that you saw a few weeks ago. You see, it's not general, but yet it is so utterly specific because in the law, it was general, but in the person of Jesus, it is personal because he came for us, each one of us. Therefore, in that community, move your conversations from less and less general to more and more specific. Build this habit of open and honest confession and prayer request of how God can meet you through the person of Jesus, the grace of his word, and the grace of his people in your life. And the last one is this, is if you're taking notes of these three things, the third one is get around passionate people when you can. Do you know how easy it would have been for Paul and Silas to stick around Berea? To teach people who were eager to study the scriptures and apply them to their life. But how difficult it would have been to go back to 
A place like Thessalonica where they were like, they're way less eager than the Bereans. Or go back to a place where they're apathetic and they're like, you know what? I'm not going to those Roman Jewish Christians anymore. They reject God's word. They don't want anything to do with it. They're slowly growing fat in their hearts towards Christ. They don't want anything to do with it. Initiate community. Have specific conversations and get around passionate people. But as we wind down this morning and apply these three texts to our lives, the first question that we have to start with is, have you personally responded to the word and to Christ? Have you personally responded to the Lord and made Jesus the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins? The second thought to consider is, how do you personally engage the Holy Spirit in the word on your own? How do you do that? Do do, do you need resources or help? The Journey Groups God is full of them, each and every series. Third one to consider is, do you initiate grace through the context of community with others on a regular basis? I say it almost every week, but following Jesus is never meant to be a solo mission. So how is God moving you to respond through his word this morning? We have a prayer time, and then we're going to respond in worship. So if you would, get in a prayer posture that you feel comfortable with. There's going to be some prayer team members down front that would love to pray with you and for you. As we sing, the front's always open or you can stay right there in your seat and process this teaching from God's word and how the spirit is inviting you to take next steps in this moment. The first question was, is have you responded to Christ for the very first time have you made Jesus the leader of your life and forgiver of your sins have you began that relationship it's not a finish line conversation but rather a starting line the second one is more probably for Monday morning how do you engage God's word to encounter his grace the power of the spirit on a regular basis he so desires to meet with you and I pray that you desire to meet with him not as a burden but as a delight simply make space in that calendar and the third one is how is God moving you towards other people to initiate community not to find it not to gain it like you lost it and discovered oh here it is but How can you bring up and show to do the work to be community, to be a safe place, an agent of God's grace in someone else's life? Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment to teach us, to apply this teaching to our hearts. We do not desire to be like the Jews in Acts 7 who were resistant to the Holy Spirit or those in Acts 28 who were just apathetic and could care less, but rather teach us to be like Bereans who are eager to receive your word and apply it to our lives making you the leader of our life and forgiver of our sins our Lord and our Savior you're called the shots you're the hero of the story may we sing loud to worship 
you and you alone. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, would you stand, sing with us, and respond to God's word.